0: Well, good morning. Um, recently, I've uh, finished reading one of uh, well, not one of the first historical novel I've ever read. Um, not really a genre that I've really read much of, but I read just a fabulous book called "The Killer Angels." It's about uh, uh, the battles of Battle of Gettysburg from the perspective of the different generals. And one of the themes, there's many themes. One of the themes that kind of struck me in it was, uh, of course, the idea of just how in the midst of this battle uh, uh, between enemies, uh, there was still love and affection between certain people on the two sides. Certain generals had gone to school and had a personal relationship with some of the other generals, and just the conflict and the the difficulty and the struggles that occurred there. And uh, that kind of, uh, I began kind of thinking about that theme, love thy enemy, and then I guess... uh, The Lord that i need to think about a little bit more because in my devotions uh, during that period of time, uh, I was reading the passage that we're going to look at today, which is Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. And I want to open with a quote um, from Diedrich Bonhoeffer about uh, this passage. He writes this in his book, uh, Cost of Discipleship. To the natural man, the very notion of loving his enemies is an intolerable offense and quite beyond his capacity it cuts right across his ideas of good and evil more important still to man under the law the idea of loving his enemies is clean contrary to the law of God which requires men to sever all connection with their enemies and pass and to pass judgment on them and uh, quite frankly I find myself probably in that category uh, where I'm looking for justice for my enemies Uh, some of you may uh, be in that as well um but this passage that we're going to look at today i think teaches us a little something else not that justice isn't uh, going to be the lords and there's going to be a reckoning but but there for the for us as individuals we are to show mercy even to our enemies just a little bit of context for luke chapter 6 verses 27 through 36 uh, this is a parallel passage, at least I believe, to Matthew five through seven. Some would disagree with that, but I think there's pretty good uh, evidence that this is a parallel passage with the, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, where the Beatitudes are given. And this particular passage um, is dealing with the idea that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Or another way to say it may be, Jesus more fully is more fully revealing the law. Uh, this is in the context, if you look at Matthew, in it's parallel, uh, uh, parallel passage in Matthew 5 and 7. The, the section that we're going to look at today, Luke chapter 6, is in the context of a, uh, you have heard it said, Jesus says, and then Jesus goes on to say, but I say <laughs> to you. Uh, and he goes on to talk about things like, you've heard it said that murder is wrong, but I say you shouldn't even be angry with your brother. You've heard it say that adultery is wrong, but I say if you look after a a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. Uh, You've heard it said that false vows to God are not right. I say don't even make vows to God. Uh, And then the two uh, sections that we're going to come to is you've heard it said that there's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the idea of justice. Uh, But I say to you, you need to have mercy and love for your enemies. You've heard it said to love your neighbor, but I'm saying to you, love your enemy. Uh, so there's a contrast. Between, I think there's a fuller revealing of, of what the, the, the standard and the law of God really is. I think He's showing the people that they are no longer living this time that he's giving this uh, message. That it's about ready to come upon a new time that the old theocratic system is gone and God's kingdom not fully being revealed yet, although it will be in times to come. But Jesus is revealing the pure holiness that God demands in His kingdom, a demand that is ultimately satisfied only by Jesus Christ Himself. So let's read the text, Luke chapter 6, 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whatever, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And as I... Read those verses a few weeks ago. It's one of those things, sometimes you get a song in your head, you know, you get a melody in your head, and it just won't go away. That's kind of what happened with this verse. It just kind of kept ringing back in my mind. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Um, And so, from a personal perspective, I thought it would... uh, God was telling me to spend a little time on this, and I thought I would share it with you as well. You know, there's two kinds of passages that you can label difficult. Some in the Bible. Passages that are difficult to understand, and then there's those passages that, quite frankly, are fairly easy to understand, but are much more difficult uh, to carry out and to abide. And I would say this is probably the latter. Um, and I think we have to be careful how we respond to some of these hard teachings of Jesus. I know it, sometimes it's very easy to read, uh, read these and think, well, Jesus didn't really mean that. He must have meant X, Y, Z, whatever it must, may be. And a lot of times we have a tendency, I think, to... Uh, maybe turn it into a symbolic saying or uh, justify it in some other way Um, all the while missing the radical truth of what jesus really is teaching and uh, we need to let the truth of these hard teachings penetrate our hearts and change our view of the way things really are so the command love your enemy Love your enemy. I think first we must ask, at least the question that comes to my mind, is who is my enemy? Uh, We talked about this in family devotions a little bit, and Erica piped up just as quick as could be and says, Satan. (laughs) And, you know, she's she's absolutely right. I mean, that's probably one of the first things that comes to our mind. Um, certainly, Satan is our enemy. However, I don't think that's what Jesus is, is dealing with here in this particular passage. I think he's dealing with human relationships. Remember, it comes in contrast to the idea of love your neighbor. So, love your enemies. I think he's dealing with human relationships. I remember my first enemy. I don't know if many of you do. Little Randall was uh, out, I lived out on a farm, <laughs> and uh, I had my evil Knievel uh, lunchbox. I don't know anybody have one. It doesn't matter. Completely irrelevant. Okay, and I got on the bus. All right, <laughs> and I got on the bus, and I was just, you know, pretty pretty shy kid, and I wasn't bothering anybody. But this this man, this boy named Keith, some big high school bully, comes and starts. Uh, I don't know, just making fun of me, wanting me to move out of my seat. He was my first enemy. My second enemy uh, was a little girl in fourth grade. I used to always bring my lunch, and I would uh, come into the table, and I would sit down, trying to be friendly to this poor little girl. I would, I, that's what I always say this little girl, and uh, she, you know, and she would just start crying when I started looking at her, and I kind of got in trouble for that. So, anyway, those were the, my first enemies, and I keep and I thought about those little experiences. They're kind of trifled. They're kind of, you know, what's the big deal? But there is a certain truth to that, I think. And sometimes we don't have to do anything necessarily wrong to have enemies. That's one thing that I think to keep in mind when uh, when we talk about this idea of enemies. And enemies sometimes come in all forms. Sometimes they're temporal and a little bit trivial, kind of like what the examples I just gave. But other times in our life, I think our enemies, are, it's more chronic and it's more bitter. And uh, I think the words of Jesus crosses the gamut. Uh, so as we think about these, think about those types of enemies that might be in your own life and how we might try to apply these. This radical teaching for Jesus that says to do good to bless, and to pray for our enemies. Thinking of a couple of examples, um, Joseph, a biblical examples, one that comes to my mind is Joseph and how his, uh, the, he became enemies in a sense with his brothers and uh, how he showed uh, uh, kindness and love to them when they came back to Egypt uh, to get some food. I uh, think of David. Remember the story of when Saul, and Saul is already trying to, to, to come after David, King Saul, uh, because he realizes that the people and, and God, in a sense, is on the side of David, and that David's going to one day be king. Well, Saul wants to, tr- to pursue David and uh, try to take care of that. And remember when Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself, and there David was, and he cut the, the hem of his garment, and he very well could have taken his life at that moment. David did not. He chose kindness and, and goodness towards his enemy. A couple of examples that come to mind. Um, Bill, uh, uh, Bob today talked about uh, cognitive dissonance in your Sunday school class. And I remember when I first had some cognizant, cognizant dissonance, realization about loving your enemies. Um, certainly was something I heard as I grew up. But it was at a concert in Nebraska, an outdoor concert, you know, one of those outdoor concerts, and Steve Camp was uh, singing. And if you've ever heard Steve Camp, Steve Camp talks about as much as he sings. But that's a fine. I, I enjoyed that. But Steve Camp said something pretty, pretty radical in the middle. We were having a good old time, you know, as Christians can do. And he challenged believers at that time in the early 90s, Probably still so today. One of the enemies of our culture, as a from a Christian perspective, a face of that enemy was Madonna. Right? Okay. She was an enemy to, to the Christian culture in a in a sense of what she stood for and what she believed. And his point was this: and he meant it. Are you praying for Madonna? Are you are you lifting her up in prayer? Are you are you? Um, are we going beyond just tolerating our enemies and are we trying to pray and do good and bless those? It's a radical idea. It's a difficult idea. But that's what Jesus calls us. Jesus goes on in verses 29 through 34 to give some exam- specific examples. He talks about, and the first one is, hit, <clears throat> Excuse me, if you're hit on, hit on the cheek, turn and give him the other cheek. And I say that's not a difficult passage to understand, I suppose maybe in some sense it is um, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think sometimes we get caught up in these examples and we miss jesus 's greater point, which is to love our enemies. i don 't think Jesus is trying to convey to us that we shouldn't have some that we can't have uh, self some sort of self defense i don't think that's what he 's trying to teach in this passage. I think what he 's trying to teach us is that Justice does not ultimately lie at the seat of the individual. Justice is ultimately God's. Uh, he gives the example of if somebody asks for your coat, give him your shirt too. If we, when we look back in Matthew, we see that's in the context of being sued. <clears throat> Those are radical or difficult things that uh, we are to see our enemy and not just as an object for our justice, but as an object for our mercy. 31 through 34, he talks about loving your neighbor. But then he says, but I say to you, love your enemy. Lend to your enemy in need. Lend to your enemy in need, whether or not, uh, without expecting return. Mercy. Mercy. Justice is God's. There certainly is a place for justice in our society, uh, certainly a place for justice within, I think, in the government system, uh, within the church system, um, but there's also a place for mercy, and that's what this passage is dealing with. Peter reminds us, he writes this in Peter, 1 Peter Chapter 2, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth, and, all, and while being revealed, he did not revile; did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to Him who judges righteously. Let me just stop for a moment. And teens, let me just get your attention for a second. You know, teens. When we sometimes we put you in maybe a different category, but it's really kind of a false category when it comes to applying scripture. I think teens are, you are especially uh, susceptible to this idea of enemies. I mean. I, teens sometimes can, can make enemies over the smallest, insignificant types of things. I remember as a teen, uh, staplers and, and swimming pools caused a couple enemies, at least for a time with friends. Just trivial things. And uh, you, are, uh, you are in a situation in your life where you, you typically have maybe a lot, you're, you're in contact with a lot of different people. Whatever the case may be, whatever the case you think that you, you, you're, people around you may be your enemies, you are still called to love your enemies, not to scowl them, not to talk behind them, their back, not to jeer at them, but to love them. And another idea, All this text is clearly talking about personal relationships, but I think as we apply this, try to apply this to our lives, I think it can have a, that we have a little bit broader application and we think about the ideas that are enemies to our own ideas as followers of Jesus Christ. And remember that behind these ideas are individuals. They're people. For instance, there's cultural enemies. One that comes to my mind is just the idea of abortion. That's a cultural enemy. But behind those ideas of abortions are people who are really carrying out those acts of abortion. You think of George Tiller. I mean, that's an an enemy. It's an enemy of mine. We're called to pray for our enemies. I want justice for George Tiller. We're also called to pray. We're called to do good as we can. It may be limited. Certainly, probably most of us don't have a personal relationship with George Tiller. But we can pray. We can move, petition God to move George Tiller's heart. Political enemies. Bill Clinton, right? That's, your, that's, our, that's a political enemy of mine. It's easy to get cynical about political enemies. Mike, last week, talked about imitation and how kids uh, pick up on imitation. Holy smoke in this area. I've definitely seen this in my family where I get a little bit cynical about politics and the people, the, the, as I see at the opposing party, very easy to get completely cynical about that, at least for me, and the kids pick up on that easy, uh, quickly and easily. We are to pray for our enemies, political is included, theological enemies, uh, I've got one time I've got it in the mail. I don't know if I've told this story. Again, I apologize if I tell the same story. It's hard to remember who I tell what. But I've got this little eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper in the mail. Have you ever got one of those with a little printing around the outside that's supposed to make it look like a rug? And basically, you're supposed to get down on your knees. Well, send some money in. Pray. You know, just just completely taking the gospel and twisting it and turning it on its heels. That ticks me off. To be quite angry. Quite. Honestly, I need to pray for my theological enemies. Another area I think that we can have some enemies that uh, is in our families. Um, I know I've seen it in my own families, sometimes only for a season, for a time. Um, jealousy can a lot of times occur inside a family. Um, family enemies are, uh, can sometimes be very difficult types of situations. Uh, but we must be we must get beyond simply tolerating our enemies and love them now, lest you think i 've gone just completely too far on the love side I remember I grew up in a Methodist church, and uh, we had this pastor come in. I was a little kid, but I remember my parents always talking about uh, this pastor, this new pastor that came in, and all he ever talked about was love 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 and uh Uh, And it was true, and justice really never came into play (laughs) there in that particular situation. Uh, But that's certainly not where I'm at. I'm not saying that we love at all costs. Loving your enemy does not mean we agree. Loving our enemy does not mean we promote. Loving our enemy means we love in spite of. Um, And it's not either truth or love. It's both. Loving our enemy... does not have to be the same as, is not the same as agreeing with them. Verses 35 and 36 talks about being merciful to others because God was merciful to you. And I think here in this section we really find the punch, if you will, or maybe a knife in a sense. As we love our enemies, so shall our reward be. How, we will, how will we be rewarded might be debated, but that we will rewarded reward, be rewarded is a promise from Jesus. Not only will reward come as we love our enemies, but Jesus tells us something else. As we love our enemies, we are identifying with the character of God. So much so that the passage tells us, and he uses the phrase, that we will be sons of the Most High. As we love our enemies, we are exhibiting the very character of God. And if this is not enough reason to, to love our enemies, Jesus gives us one more. And in a sense, I think this is the crux of the entire passage. The persuasion that Jesus uses kind of has that thou art the man ring to it when Nathan went to David and he confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. <clears throat> lest we fall into the trap, that dreadful trap of placing our piety above that of our enemies, we must remember the character of God. And here's the bite. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. You and I, before we came followers of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. We were enemies of Christ and he loved Paul recounts in his letter to Titus chapter 3 for we also once were foolish ourselves disobedient, deceived enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy hateful, hating one another but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous deeds that we have done, but according to His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by His grace, we will be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Before we came into that right relationship with God, by placing our faith in Christ, we were the enemy. God did not jeer, mock, mistreat, or snarl at us. He loved us first. We love because He loved us first. 1 John chapter 4. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. He does not call us to agree, promote, condone, or idolize them. He calls us to love them. The life of Jesus agrees with His precept. You know, when we think about um, the idea of love and how much jesus loves us i know one of the passages i tend to go is john chapter three right is when jesus is talking to nicodemus and isn't it interesting what more of an enemy did jesus have than the pharisees take a look at luke chapter (laughs) eleven the pharisees were certainly an enemy of christ and but yet that is the chapter we often go to, to show the love that jesus had jesus calls us to love our enemies that is the task at hand. I want to close with another reading from Bonhoeffer and on this passage. And he says this, How then does love conquer? By asking not how the enemy treats her, but only how Jesus treated her. The love for our enemies takes us along the way of the cross and into the fellowship of the crucified, capital C. The more we are driven along this road, the more certain is the victory of love over the enemy's hatred. For then it is not the disciples' own love, but the love of Jesus Christ alone, who for the sake of his enemies went to the cross and prayed for them as he hung there. In the face of the cross, the disciples realized that they too were his enemies, and that he had overcome them by his love. It is this that opens the disciples' eye and enables him to see his enemy as a brother. He knows that he owes his very life to one who, who though he was his enemy, treated him as his neighbor and drew him into fellowship with himself. Let's pray. Father, these words of your Son that he spoke on this mount some 2,000 years ago, I think are as challenging to us today as it was for his hearers then. Father, we find it difficult to love our enemies. Sometimes it seems almost impossible. But Father, that's exactly where we found our place before you came to the cross. And Father, that is what you are calling us to. And Father, we, I'm sure, have different types of enemies. I said some trivial, some more bitter some ideological. But whatever the case may be, I pray that you would help us to be a people who not only love our neighbor, but love our enemy. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.